And now if you're going to use influencers to find your audience, you don't really need that many of them. It might be, can you get on Tim Ferriss's podcast? He's got a million people or so on his podcast in terms of followings, right? If a thousand people there resonate with what you're saying as a guest of his on that podcast, you might have your thousand people right there. So it's, you're just really one, two, maybe three influencers away from finding those true fans of yours. You're listening to the Client Catching Podcast, the show that uncovers how high-performing service-based business leaders are successfully navigating the ocean of complexity around growing their business. Now, as anyone with the talent and guts to start a business knows, it takes a lot more to grow one than just being great at what you do, and you can't do it alone. So this podcast will show you how other captains of their own ship, just like you, have found the right strategy to catch more clients, simplified everything, and transform their business. So if you're ready to do the same, then jump aboard and join me, Adam King, host and the captain at Think Like a Fish, and let's go fishing. This episode of the Client Catching Podcast is sponsored by the Think Like a Fish £100,000 Growth Accelerator Mentorship Program. Now, it's designed to help you add £100,000 of new client revenue by implementing my proprietary growth methodology into your business, the Growth Accelerator ecosystem. And it's done so that you can repeat it again and again and grow your business to the next level. And unlike most consulting programs out there, I'm so confident the results that you can get from this that the bulk of your investment is linked to you landing clients and hitting predetermined revenue targets up to £100,000. Now, if you're curious and you want to see how this all works, then register for my on-demand masterclass, the three growth accelerators that can add £100,000 plus of new client revenue to your business in six to 12 months. And you can do that at thinklikeafish.co.uk slash masterclass. That's thinklikeafish.co.uk slash masterclass. Hello, welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever bought something because of a well-known person that you admire that they've used that particular product or service? Now, let's be honest, I don't think there's a single person that could claim they haven't done that because I know I certainly have. Now, the reason that this happens is that the person you admire, they have influence because you respect them, you trust them, and that means that you're far more likely to pay attention to the things they say, they do, and they recommend. So in a world where many people have grown cynical towards things like advertising, then this is why there's a real rising trend of more companies moving away from traditional advertising towards something that is consistently proving to be one of the highest ROA marketing channels available today. Now that channel is networking and working with other influencers through content creation. So maybe you have the question, what does that exactly mean? And how do you make it work for you to attract and win more clients for your business? Well, that's exactly what my guest today is a world-renowned expert in. As the founder of the InfluencerMarketer.com, he's one of the world's top 50 practitioners of what is known as influencer marketing. And as a pioneer in this space, he's been helping brands and businesses to cut through the uh, the internet noise so they reach and persuade their ideal clients by leveraging influencers and social media to improve their ROI, raise brand awareness, generate leads, and outflank competitors. So if that sounds like something you'd like to do, and let's be honest, who wouldn't, then you're going to absolutely love listening to my guest today on the Client Catching Podcast, Tom Ogenthaler. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam, for having me. I'm really thrilled to be here. This is going to be fun. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. So influencer marketing, what's all that about? It's really pretty simple. It's just about it, and it's and it's ages old. I mean, it, it goes back to really the beginning of time, right? When you think about it, because it's really just about listening to other people and following the recommendations because you trust them, you know them, you trust them, uh, you respect them. And all that is is translating that, translate that concept on, on to the online world. And it's word of mouth marketing, really. It's just a form of word of mouth marketing. So Today, because of social media and the internet and all those great things, people have built up audiences of their own on these different platforms like Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and all these other places and blogs. And uh, they 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 have attracted followings by publishing content there and talking about the topics that matter to them, that they're passionate about. 
and people respond to that. They like that. We all like that. I mean, let's face it. You know, we like to relate to other people and see how they're dealing with challenges and issues and things like that. So <clears throat> it's really about just leveraging those people, partnering with those people to get your message out to the audience that you want to speak to. Then those people are your ideal customers. They're the people that you would like to have as customers. That's it. So, so we're talking about a difference. Is, is well, is there a difference between an influencer and a celebrity? Because we all we've all seen the celebrity endorsements. The uh, you know Tiger Woods being paid millions for representing companies and Nike sponsoring athletes and all that kind of thing. Is there a difference to that side of things compared with what you're terming as influencer marketing? Yes, there's a difference. Uh, it's related, but and it's similar, but there is a big difference. The difference is is that those people are just like you said. They are world-renowned celebrities for the most part. They're TV people, movie stars, sports stars, people like that, Tiger Woods, whatever. Uh, and, you know, they companies will approach them to have, have them endorse their product. You know, you'll see it with, you know, Matt Damon watching, some, you know, wearing a Rolex watch or, you know, somebody, a tennis player using a certain brand of tennis racket, right? Tiger Woods, you know, wearing nike shoes or something you know it's it's that's ages old you know and it's pretty well established industry what i'm talking about is working with people like you and me who've built up their own audiences on their own using the internet as a platform to do so and you know they produce all kinds of content blogs videos you know posts on instagram Facebook, whatever. Uh, many, some of them even run their own groups on Facebook, things like that, or Slack. So, <clears throat> what you, which, what we're working with here is we're working with regular people, ordinary people, that have just built up their own followings. So they're not celebrities in the traditional sense. They're not movie stars, you know, and <laughs> hence they're a lot more affordable to work with. <laughs> that was going to be a question. So when you, when you're sort of talking about working with these kind of people, are you still talking about there's a there's a paid relationship that you work with them or can you work with them in different ways? How, how would somebody go about actually working with uh, an influencer? Okay. So let me, let me do, let's break, let's break influencer marketing down. It's a big term. It's an umbrella term and it, and it, and lots of different activities fall under it or are under it. So let's, the main, the, the three main activities are, are these first is influencer advertising. The next is influencer relations. And then thirdly, there's what I, there's true influencer marketing. So influencer advertising is exactly what it sounds like. You're paying somebody to post about your product or service on their feed normally uh, or on their channel. And uh, usually that's on platforms like uh, Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat. Uh, now TikTok is a, is a rising platform that everybody's watching. Um, so <clears throat> that's what that's all about. It's simply paying people to post about your content or your mess or your brand or your product on their feed. <clears throat> it's pretty straightforward. The next one is influencer relations. So influencer relations is like me reaching out to you and saying, Adam, I've got a, you know, I've got a, I've got a new microphone, for instance, that I think is great for podcasters. You know, I'd like to get this in front of you. Would you be willing to review it? Uh, you know, something like that. And you might, we might just do a trade. We might do a barter. So it might be, Hey, I'll get you the microphone. If you know, you, you, you know, you know, talk about the product a little bit on a couple of your podcasts or something, and you could barter it out. Hmm. Um, and for influencer relations can be inviting uh, influencers to an event of yours. So if you have a company and you have a company event, you can invite some influencers to it to cover the event, to meet with uh, executives in the company, to you know do some other activities, blog about it, you know, post some social media about it, generate some excitement. Maybe you do some videos together. Uh, you know, all sorts of things can arise from that. Uh, so that's influencer relations. And then there's real influencer marketing, which is about the co-creation of content together. So that's when you reach out to an influencer and you say, hey, <clears throat> I'd like to get, you know, could we do a series of blog posts, you know, together? Um, I'd like to introduce you to my executives. I'd like to integrate you into the company and how we do things. Um, you know, the influencer may say, hey, I only do that kind of activity. I need to be compensated. You know, okay. 
know, let's work out a compensation package. You know, what's it going to look like? You know, maybe we advertise on their feed or something for a while. Maybe, you know, maybe we pay them outright to develop some, some content for us. Maybe it's sponsored content. Um, so that can look like, you know, that can take any, any kind of shape. Uh, it's just a matter of what the influencer likes to do and what they feel comfortable with. But those and are the something th- like this is an example as well, isn't it? I mean, we're having a conversation um, on a podcast. And you know, it, that's, we are co-creating content together. Exactly. You have, no. your, you have your audience, I have my audience. And, and, and is, the, is that a strict example of an of a, of a influencer marketing um, uh, channel that you would potentially use? Absolutely. Absolutely. So for instance, if I, if, I was, if, I was, if I was going to reach out to you on behalf of a client, I might say, Adam, I've got a couple of executives that you should probably speak to because of X, Y, and Z reasons. You know, I'd like to get them as guests on your podcast. What does it take to do that? You might tell me, oh, these guys look great or these gals look great. I'd like to just have them on because they just hit the sweet spot of, of what, I, what I talk about on my podcast. Or you might say to me, oh, hey, would you guys mind sponsoring the episode, you know, or a series of episodes? Uh, so, it, you know, again, the compensation could take any form. And yes, Pitching somebody like you to get a, a client on a podcast like this is, is totally part of influencer marketing, completely. So how have you got to this place where you, you work on influencer marketing? Because you didn't start your career looking, you know, being an, a marketing uh, uh, expert on influencers. What was your journey to get here and how has that sort of informed why you do what you do today? Well, the, <laughs> that's a great question because I fell into this, honestly. Um, and it was well, sort show, of a show me most ex- people that haven't. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was sort of a painful experience. Um, yeah. You know, it was back around 2007, 2008. I was working at HP. I was a a, a PR person um, in one of their divisions in the personal systems group, as it was called back then. And I handled uh, consumer laptop products for the company worldwide. On a, at a PR basis. So whenever a new product was being announced, I was, I had my, you know, I was involved in it in one way, shape or form. So it didn't matter where it was announcing in the world. You know, I would help, you know, announce that product. Now at the time, what most companies did was work through publications and reviewers. And the problem was that because the economy was starting to go down and tank, actually it was tanking for a while there and banks were failing and all that stuff, many publications went out of business. They just folded up, went out of business. A lot of the reporters I knew left their profession and went into some, found some other job because the publications folded. So that left us with a dilemma and we had to figure out, well, how do we get in front of our customers again? I mean, if the, if the publication number is shrinking, what do we do? Uh, and so I started to work with bloggers and they were just people who at the time were, were posting blogs and publishing content. Some of them were doing video, uh, although video was harder to do back then. Uh, but a lot of the social media platforms that we have today did not exist. Uh, Twitter was around, um, and Facebook was just burgeoning. Um, you know, so and LinkedIn was around, but you know nobody was really using those platforms the way they use them today. So really, it was around it was around blogging. So I, I started working with bloggers, and some of the bloggers were you know older people. You know, you know they were like uh, towards retirement, and you know they liked some of the laptop products we had because they were good for older people to use. And then we had, of course, lots of you know uh, laptop products that were geared towards younger people. So you know, I in a couple of cases I had to get parental permission. Um, <laughs> to be able to ship the laptop to some of these bloggers because they were literally kids working in their parents' basements. Um, and they had developed this blog and the blog had you know, a great following and great engagement. So why not work with them? But, you know, you have working with a minor, you have to work through the parents. So it was kind of an ex- interesting experience. Well, there's, there's examples, isn't there, now that how that shifted. There's, there's 13-year-old kids with YouTube channels that have like millions and millions in sponsorship and all sorts of things, isn't there? Yeah. So that, Which is but, nuts when you think about it. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's changed a lot since I, I first started it, but that's the way we did it. And we just started finding bloggers out there, establishing relationships with them, got them product to 
to touch and feel and review and, and use within their own environment, uh, whether that was a work environment or a school environment or whatever it was. And that way we got the word out about our product set. And it actually, a lot of the content was better than content I could have hoped for on a, on a publication or with a publication. Because it's, it's a person, he didn't look, a lot of them didn't look at it from the point of view of being a journalist. They looked at it from the point of view of, hey, this is a cool product and I, I want to use this in my environment. I'm going to show my friends. You know, we're going to have conversations about it. I'm going to try it out in different situations. I mean, you know, one guy actually developed a series of blog posts and the, the length of the, of the content in terms of the blog posts, the wordage was like a 20 page term paper. I mean, it was, you know, he spread it out over weeks and it was just fantastic because it was just a real nice use case scenario of somebody using the product in their environment. And, uh, you know, that's gold to a marketer. Yeah. And I can imagine back then as well, they weren't, they probably weren't used to a lot of people approaching them and, and either giving them free stuff or offering them incentives to to write about stuff and they must have thought this is fantastic <laughs> yeah yeah they they yeah. were they were starting to get it because a lot of them wrote about products you know they might go try them out on a store you know like a best buy or something like that and they noodle around with it a bit and then or they'd borrow it from a friend um who would purchase something you know and they'd review that and then when they have a major, you know, Fortune 100 company contacting them saying, hey, we'd like to supply a, a, a unit for you to review, they were like, whoa, this is great. You know, I mean, it was. <laughs> I was doing it for free anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. doing it for free. And honestly, Adam, I, I didn't pay one of them. Not one yeah. of them was paid. Now, what we did do was we gifted them the product in some cases. Um, in many cases, actually, we ended up doing that because it's a lot easier than having the thing shipped back to us and then we have to reprocess it and, you know, do all those things. So what we did was um, we would pick about, I don't know, 10, 12, whatever, and we would ship them out to them. And then we would ask them at the end of the review period when they were done reviewing it and they were finished, you know, uh, publishing content about it, would they kindly give it away to one of their readers? And so they would do just that. And sometimes they'd just pick a name out of a hat. Sometimes they would do a little contest. And what it did was it just further engaged their readerships around their blogs um, because now these people you know, had a chance to, to win a, a brand new laptop, you know? So, I mean. And so, so, so what did that do in terms of results, really, for, for HP at that time? Did um, you see sort of, you know, what, what was happening um, as a result of it? Yeah, so tracking is always difficult if you don't have uh, specific codes built into the links that, you know, they're going to drive traffic, the traffic back to or lead traffic back to a specific landing page or something like that. In those days, we were just starting to work that out, Adam. I mean, it was like, you know, we had to work through multiple teams internally to, to make something like that happen. Initially, it was all about just building awareness, getting more awareness boosting visibility for the products in a way that the competitors were not. So most of the competitors were struggling with the same issues we were. We just took action on working with influencers, bloggers first. Uh, what we started to do was, uh, as we matured the program, we started to create contests. So we would recruit a number of influencers into the contest and then we would have a giveaway package or something with, uh, but there would be links that drove back to or pointed back to a specific landing page on a shopping, you know, on a, on, a, on the website or a shopping page. And we, we, we looked to see what kind of traffic we were getting back and purchases. Um, in one particular contest, the most successful one, we actually created a huge sales lift for the product because it had been languishing on store shelves for about six months because it wasn't marketed very aggressively, you know, through advertising the traditional methods. Uh, so it, they, they came to me in, in PR and said, what can we do around this to get some more, you know, action around this item? So we created a whole program involving 31 influencers each one of them posted content over the course of 31 days. Each one of them had a contest that rolled out over the course of 31 days. And we created a huge sales lift 
for the product and actually made millions of dollars for the company. Now they would never give me specific details about that. You know, even internally, if even if you work internally, they're pretty guarded about that kind of that kind of uh, information. But um, it created big sales. But the, on top of that, associated products or products that were similar to it also saw a sales lift of about 10, 15%. So it was really pretty exciting to see something like that happen. Not only that, though, uh, I mean, those results are wonderful. I mean, you got to love the numbers, right? Everybody loves better numbers. But on top of that, the brand experienced a lift as well because the readerships out there loved what we were doing and said so and said, you know, HP is a company that gets it. You know, they understand how to work with people. They understand, you know, what we look for. Um, you know, they understand, you know, what we need in terms of content and who we like to listen to, you know, so it was all these types of things too. So we weren't shoving our message down their throats anymore through advertising the and, you know, the traditional methods. Instead, we were creating sort of a dialogue through the influencers about the products. Now, because we had briefed the influencers about the products, they were conversant about them and could answer questions for us in many cases about what it could do and what it couldn't do. They knew the speeds and feeds. They knew, you know, and these, these guys and gals love this stuff. So, I mean, they, they, they really delved into it. Uh, now, and, and then some of us got on and then would answer questions that the influencers themselves couldn't answer, but we got on and started answering questions on those in, in those comment feeds. So a lot of the people could see that the brand was interacting with, with them directly. So that yeah. creates a whole new, uh, you know, set of opportunities. And, and yeah, what I, what I like, I mean, I was, uh, I was schooled in the, uh, the world of direct response marketing. So brand used to be a bit of a swear word, but I actually believe that what what branding really is, and I can't remember who said it. It's 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 your brand is is essentially what people say about you when you're not in the room, and what you've done with that is is have and start other people having conversations about you without you actually having to be there, and the power in that is so much more because it's not you, the company that's talking about it, it's other people, and that has so much more power than if you're sticking a. a you know, an advert in front of people and saying, well, this is the best thing since sliced bread and um, blah, 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 blah. It's totally different. And the impact, is, as you've um, indicated there around the, the numbers and the uplift and the result, huge. So why don't you sort of take us from HP to where you are now? Because I think a lot of the people um, that will be listening will be thinking, right, that makes sense for HP, but I'm not HP. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm running a... Um, a small service business. I've got a you know a smaller team. I, I I work with clients, that kind of thing. So how how have you sort of transitioned to be able to replicate that that HP had to helping sort of middle to smaller size businesses today? Okay, so th- let me just tell you about the journey. So I, I, when I left HP, um, well, when I was still at HP, I was working with a small group of people who had worked at a partner company, uh, it was a chip company called AMD. And they actually were the ones who introduced me to the bloggers initially, the initial bloggers. So they had a list, they had already been working with some of these people, they had assessed them, vetted them, and they knew, you know, the personalities involved. So I started working through them first and used them because the traditional PR firms, agencies, whatever, had zero clue, zero clue about how to do this. But these guys did. So when I left HP, I, I jumped ship and I went with them. And it was very small little operation, a uh, little consultancy. And uh, it was just like four, five, six of us, maybe up to 10 for a while there. Um, and what we did was we worked with we'd work with huge brands and we'd work with small brands. It really didn't matter. That just you know they just had to have a willingness to to try it out, and and some budget obviously. Um, so what I started doing was just working with all sorts of clients through them. Now, again at the time, you know most of the influencers were bloggers or or you know on YouTube you know video guys vloggers. Uh, so it's pretty limited. You know, nowadays you have a, a plethora of people to choose from, right? And all different ways to, to you know, find your target audience and, and the influencers who, who speak to those people. Back then it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't as bifurcated or multi 
bifurcated, whatever you want to say, multifaceted. You know, it was, mu it was much simpler. Um, but essentially what we do is we would, you know, look at what the company had to offer. It didn't matter whether it was a small company or medium-sized company, whatever. What do they want to do? What is their goal, right? How do they, and, and why do they think that influencer marketing is going to help them? Now, my philosophy on influencer marketing is that it's really best used in conjunction with other marketing activities. So if you're doing some PR, you're doing some traditional marketing, if you're doing direct mail, you know, if you're doing things like that, direct marketing, that it works really well in tandem with all of those things, right? Now you can use it as a solo strategy to, you know, if you haven't got, you know, if you haven't got the budget or the bandwidth to do anything else, you can use it that way. And a brand like Daniel Wellington on Instagram has done fabulous with it. I mean, I think they've built a billion dollar company off of working with influencers on a place like Instagram, all about watches, right? Um, so they've built this fabulous brand doing it. Really, it's about reaching out to the influencers and figuring out, you know, what kind of an exchange do you need to take place to make it happen? Uh, I never, just so you know, I never start the conversation with money. Uh, unless it's, you're going to advertise, like I said, remember influencer advertising, which is just media buys, that's all about money. And, you know, some influencers will say to you, no, I don't want to work with that brand, your brand or something or that brand because it doesn't fit with me. I just don't like what they do. Okay, fine. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, actually, that shows me the influencer has integrity, you know, because they, they, have a, they have a value set and they're sticking to that value set. That's actually well, some, some people have different value drivers, don't they? I mean, some it may well be, yeah, it's it's financial at this point. Others it may be impact. Others it may be um, about sort of getting the message out about the industry that they represent, and it could, it could be all sorts of different things. They could be looking to be more sort of supporting a. a, a I'm not going to try and say the philanthropy charity. That's an easy word. Philanthropy. <laughs> That's it. Philanth yeah. Yeah, it's late in the day for me here. I uh, <laughs> trip over my words. I am going to figure that word out at some point. But yeah, you, but it's it's that kind of thing, isn't it? Of of understanding, uh, you know, what it is that is actually going to drive someone. And if you lead with the thing that is just not what they're interested in, then you know you can't assume that their motivation at that point is going to be financial. So I like the fact that you've yeah you mentioned that we'd never lead with money first. Yeah, I, I rarely unless it's unless like I said, it's a media buy, and in which case. It, it's all about the money, right? Unless unless they don't want to work with your particular brand or the, or the product or whatever, they just don't like it. That's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, you know, for you know, there's, there's thousands of other influences to choose from, so you don't have to you don't have to worry about that kind of thing. Uh, but that's the way you approach it. What's your goal? Who are you trying to reach? And then you're going to look for influencers who speak to that audience. Uh, so for me, the, the first quality that really is most important is the relevancy. How relevant is the influencer to the audience that you're trying to speak to, that you want to, you want to connect with? Uh, if it's, you know, if they've got a really deep connection with that, that's great. Perfect. They hit the sweet spot. You know, you might find some other influencers that are tangentially reach that audience. That's fine too. Actually, you're going to have to build a little bit of a you know, you have to build a little bit of a, it's like a salad, right? I mean, if, if, if most people don't eat just lettuce, some people do, I guess. I mean, well, Caesar salad is just lettuce with the dressing, right? <laughs> but <laughs> most people, you know, a salad require, you know, has cucumbers in it and other vegetables. It's all sort of tossed together. It's like that. It's like creating a salad, right? I mean, so you're going to have mm. some tomatoes in there. You're going to have some onions. You're going to have some, you know, I don't know, other things, a little bit of cheese, maybe if you like that. So you're going to do put different things into the salad, toss it about, and that's the way you're going to reach your, your target market, okay? Mm. Uh, because no one person or influencer is just perfect. Nobody is. I mean, they might... I can imagine there's a, yeah, there's a mistake that people well may make as well, that they might think, well, I need to go for an influencer that just has a massive following and, you know, has a big, well-known name, whereas actually that's not going to be particularly relevant because just because they are known and they've got a name, they're not necessarily going to have your your people in their audience. It's not just about getting eyeballs. I can imagine it's getting the right kind of eyeballs. Exactly. It's the right kind of eyeballs. It's really, you got to really define who that customer is. And you're going to look look at, you know, the, not only the demographics, you know, gender, age, you know, income, all those types of things, but the psychographics. What are those people looking for? in terms of solving a particular problem or, you know, making their lives a little bit easier, how does your product or service 
meet that demand or meet that need, right? So the psychographics are really, really important. And that's one thing you're going to consider when you're looking at the at an influencer. And as you said, you know, there are a lot of influencers now who've risen to really big, you know, they've got really big social followings. I mean, you know, millions of people now, you know, follow some of these people on Instagram and other places. But just because somebody has a huge social following, like you said, doesn't mean they're really reaching the right people for you. So you got to take and a also, really- what was that story about the influencer that uh, had, uh, I don't know, a million or three million followers, but couldn't sell a T-shirt or something like that? Yeah, sold, I, I, can't <laughs> I remember, remember that. I remember that story. Yeah, uh, it was kind of it was kind of amusing. Uh, well, that brings up a different topic. Um, but let me let me stick right now to the, the influence of large social following. Sometimes that makes sense. Sometimes if you really want to raise awareness about your product or service or brand, you're going to work with somebody like that because they can, they can really help you with the amplification and they can really help you with popping up that visibility of you know, your brand or your product, right? They can really help with that. However, you got to remember that a huge, an influencer with huge social following, they really don't have great engagement anymore. So the, it, there's, a, there's a, an inverse relationship. So the more that the social following grows, the less engagement they have out of their audience. Because what happens is, to me, it's just human nature. Uh, if you're following somebody with millions of followers and you comment on their post, you know that most likely that influencer's never going to see your comment and they're never going to answer it. So why bother, right? Now, if you're following somebody who has 50,000 followers, you know, and you notice that they get on and actually answer questions, well, you know, now you've got a different scenario because there's going to be more engagement there. And then, and then the smaller the audience, the higher the engagement level. Right. So the audience is much more willing to you know, chime in and say things, ask questions, because they, they have a sense that the influencer is going to respond to them, right? Yes. Uh, that there's actual dialogue happening in the comments on those, you know, associated with those posts. So those smaller influencers are now known as either nano influencers, if they're very small followings, or micro influencers. They're around 100,000 followers on something like Instagram. Yeah, it's oh. interesting. Uh, they, they, they use, there's a principle, and I, uh, oh, again, it's just gone out of my head, but it's it's a, a a psychology principle that we can only have, I think it's 150 relationships, personal, that we can actually manage at one time. And I can't remember the name of it, and, uh, and I was going to try and remember it just to sound clever, but as I said, late in the day, so uh, I'm not going to try. But I'd be interested to know what that now, if, if there has been any studies into what that kind of relationship looks like between the real world and now social media and how that would correlate between number of followers in your audience or people in your network and all that kind of thing. And Well, I, I, that's a great question. From a, from a human standpoint, I think that nothing's changed. 150 mm. people is probably what you can manage as a person. Mm. Now, with social media, your network of people is exponentially expanded out right? So it's now you're connected with people literally all over the world, different countries, different cultures, different religions, whatever. You are now interacting with people all over the world. Now, how do you, you're, the only way to scale that to me is by using tools and you're going to have to, you're going to have to employ some virtual assistants to help you. And that's fine because you're doing that on a, from a business standpoint. But from personal relationship standpoint, I don't think anything changes. You're you're still only going to be able to manage 150 or so relationships in your life. It's just mm. not possible to to do more than that in any way that's meaningful, right? Mm. So when you're choosing an influencer, you know, again, it's like a medley, right? So I'd want, you know, I might want somebody with a big social following, you know, and then some underneath that that have smaller social followings, but they're just as relevant, maybe even more relevant. Maybe the relevance level is even higher. And it, as you go down the, the scale in terms of following size, the follower size, the audience size. So you get down to the nano influencers, you know, maybe they have just, you know, a thousand influencers, 5,000 influencers, right? I mean, excuse me, 5,000 followers. So you're now you're dealing with very small audiences. Uh, but it's, you're going to have to be able to scale your 
your campaign to be able to manage all of that. And that's where these tools and platforms and things come in handy. You know, it's a bit like that famous article by Kevin Kelly a few years back, isn't it? A thousand true fans. Yes. It's better to have a thousand true fans that actually respond or engage and all the rest of it than it is to have a hundred thousand that, um, you know, they're just there, but they don't really do anything. You know, exactly. What, so it's like, and Tim Ferriss, uh, are you familiar with Tim Ferriss? Uh, Absolutely. I was yeah. going to, I was going to name drop him on your behalf and ask a question <laughs> later on, but, uh, well, go ahead and it. go ahead and ask. Um, Tim is somebody that I have a lot of respect for. I follow. And he takes that principle that Kevin Kelly talked about the 1000 true fans. Now if you can apply this to yourself. If you're a solopreneur, think to yourself, okay, I only need a hundred, you know, I need a thousand true fans. And I've got a business, right? I've got a business. If every one of those true fans, now these true fans are the people that they love your content. They love you. They really want to, they follow you. They're loyal, right? They're like NASCAR. You know, they're like NASCAR fans over here in the United States. NASCAR fans are known as being very, very loyal to the driver. So if the driver Mm -hmm. is using, you know, if the driver's car is branded with Tide detergent, they're going to use Tide detergent because they are loyal to that driver, right? Now, that's powerful stuff, right? I mean, I, I it's might think it's nuts, but it's powerful. It's a little crazy, yeah, I, <laughs> but people are people. I mean, I, who, yeah. ex, good luck explaining people, right? So <laughs> this, is what, uh, this is what happens. So those 1,000 true fans, if you can gather 1,000 true fans and you charge each of them 100 bucks, that's $100,000, right? So you have now got, a salary, a six-figure salary, if you can just sell those people on a $100 product every year. Mm. You've got a business. You've got a lifestyle business now, right? And that's a pretty good business. And that's a great business. And you don't need, and now if you're going to use influencers to find your audience, you don't really need that many of them. It might be, can you get on Tim Ferriss's podcast? He's got a million people or so on his podcast in terms of followings, right? If a thousand people there resonate with what you're saying as a guest of his on that podcast, you might have your thousand people right there. So it's, you're just really one, two, maybe three influencers away from finding those true fans of yours. Now, there are plenty of other ways to find your, your true fans. I mean, we all know this, right? I mean, creating content, creating a podcast, you know, creating videos, maybe you're writing blog articles, maybe you're doing, you know, you're writing articles, you know, guest articles on other sites, whatever you're doing. These are all legitimate ways, legitimate methods to, to acquire those fans. But you can shortcut the, the whole process by working with influencers, even as yeah. a solopreneur. Yeah, because it takes one, yeah, one interview, um, well, well timed, well placed in front of the right audience, um, and as you say, enough people hear them, and suddenly you've cut out all of that, I guess, the work, or the, you know, if you're if you're trying to do it by advertising, for example, the amount of money that it'll cost in advertising to get in front of that audience, and by the way, that audience would not know, like, and trust you because you've been recommended or endorsed by the person who owns the audience, inverted commas. You have to get through a lot of that low like and trust stuff with advertising before somebody even actually comes into your your world and becomes one of those fans. So yeah, it's 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 a bit of a, and I hate saying it sometimes, but that it is a marketing cliche, but it is a huge shortcut to that kind of yeah to having that audience to to building that reputation. And I guess maybe that's another way of thinking: influences reputation. And so reputation yeah, is, it is. You know what? Yeah, it's it's what makes the difference. Right, and reputation is as old as society itself. Right. I mean, yeah. people have been talking about reputation ancient times. Now, in Tim Ferriss's case, the influencer he worked with was a guy named Robert Scoble, and Robert is a technology influencer. Right. Now, at the time. He was working with, uh, working for Microsoft, started a blog there and then went off on his own and kept blogging. And Tim recognized that Robert had the audience that he wanted. Young guys in the technology field who were looking for better ways to do things, right? So Tim reached out to Robert, got to know him a little bit, and then eventually asked him, hey, would you take a look at my new book, The 4-Hour Workweek? What do you think about it, right? 
Robert looked at the book, loved it, evangelized it in his blog, talked about it, and boom, Tim is now off to, off to the races. Okay, so that's how Tim did it. He really researched who was speaking to the target market that he was after. And that's and how he, he something like um, uh, He went and, and volunteered at events he ran and stuff like that. Is, am I getting that right? He, oh, yeah. I... He did all... He was, well, he so made there was a, grunt he... work involved at that point, oh, wasn't there? There is was... grunt work. It's not just picking up the phone and yeah, saying, yeah. hey, Robert, you know, I, you know, I'm over here and uh, you know, I got a book and I'd love to just get to know you. You know, I mean, it's, it's not like that. It's like, yeah. it's like, Robert, you know, he reached out. He said, look, I really admire your blog. I love it. You know, is there any way I can help out with some things? You know, maybe I can do this or that for you. Robert was like, yeah, sure. You know, I mean, just like you said, volunteer, you know, volunteered, helped out at some of the events he, that Robert was running. And they were really more ad hoc events in those days. Robert was just sort of putting them together. Um, nobody was really thinking this, this stuff out, you know, systematically as we now do it. But that's the way it happened. And Tim got to know Robert. And they're, you know, they're still connected to this day, as far as I know. So <clears throat> Robert gave Tim the lift the visibility initially and from there tim then could 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 start speaking at conferences like south by southwest places like that where he knew his ideal audience was going to congregate he started reaching out to those places to speak and with a book it's a lot easier to book a speaking engagement than it is without one right mm -hmm. so that's one of the the valuable aspects to having a book i'm working on my own but that's one of the that's one of the the, the, uh, the real, um, real things about it that's, that's, that's super valuable is that a book is sort of like, <clears throat> you know, instant credibility. And Tim's book was getting great reviews and it all started with Robert Scoble. And there's, there's just a ton of lessons in, in that story. And, and it's having that sort of, well, first of all, is having the, the foresight to think, right, this is, you know, he had a plan. He had the foresight and he had a plan, obviously. But as we sort of mentioned as well, you still have to go through the process. And yes. you still have to think about what's in it for them. It's almost like it's no different to trying to sell or market to an end client as it is attracting an influencer that wants to work with you. You've mm -hmm. got to think, what value can I provide you? What value can I provide your audience? And exactly. why is there a synergy here? And why is this going to be of mutual benefit for you as much as it is for me? However, that you know, financial, it could be adding value to your audience, all that kind of thing. There's a, there's a lot there. And I think what's also interesting is his approach doesn't really seem to have been an awful lot different to what he's still doing today. He's still talking to influencers. He's in, interviewing people. Um, what is it? The, uh, the Titans book. He interviews people and asks successful people questions gets into their network, gets placed in their network, and his um, notoriety and, and brand grows as a result. He's been using this forever. That's what Tim does. He, yeah. His podcast is about interviewing interesting people who look at things differently. And they could be PhDs in some university, or they could be business leaders or, or entrepreneurs, whatever. Uh, and then, like you said, with the Titans book, all that is... It's just a it's just a, a series of interviews he did from uh, from his podcast, condensed them down, and created a book out of it. But all of those people now get the lift from Tim Ferriss, including them in their book and in his book. So everybody's yeah. benefiting here. The readership is benefiting because the followers are benefiting because now I've got a book. I can just go to a page and I can get the real condensed version. What I need. Yeah, I know where to reach out to these people because of the book. Tim includes like all of those things in there as well. Um, the, the the people interviewed now are, you know, they've all got greater visibility as a result of it. That helps all of them in some way, shape or form. You know, Tim benefits, of course, because now he's interacting with all of these people and seem to be at their level, right? Mm -hmm. So it's got benefits all the way up and down the scale. So everybody wins, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the way I approach influencer marketing. How are my, how are my, how is the audience going to win? How's the influencer going to win? How is, how is my client going to win? Yeah, and it, it is, and you've mentioned it a couple of times. It's strategy as old as time, and there's there's many examples. I think of, um, uh, not a lot of people know this, but one of the most cited books uh, by entrepreneurs is Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. What a lot of people don't know is that book came out as a result of him interviewing, I think it was 500 CEOs at the time of um, successful companies. 
and he sort of put that all together into that. Uh, I think you grow rich is the um, succinct version of that book. Um, I can't remember the name of um, the actual book, but it's a lot thicker, which is all of the interviews in there. And that's just another example. It's marketing principles because they don't change. Human behavior and psychology doesn't change. The tactics will change. The channels will change. Who knows if um, Instagram's going to be around forever or Facebook or LinkedIn or all the rest of it. It doesn't matter. It's the principles. And that's why I, I think the approach that you take is it's just one that isn't going to ever stop working. It does work. It just requires you to actually apply a particular process and use what's available today in terms of maybe some of the tools to manage it and all the rest of it. But the proof is out there. It's been working for thousands of years. It has. And you know, to your point, the tactics change, but the principles don't. Mm -hmm. And if you apply the principles, the tactics almost just become you know, secondary. You don't have to worry about them too much. Yeah, you've got to know how the different platforms operate and, you know, how they are, you know, how to reach out to the influencers and stuff. That's fine. But that's all, that's all very just, anybody can learn that. Hmm. It's the principles. If you don't apply the principles, all the tactics in the world really aren't going to help you that much. No. So think about it from I mean, that perspective, right? Do you, do you see anything? So somebody that is an influencer, let's say Tim Ferriss, because we've used his name, do you see anything different in the way that they approach things? Just in general, in the way that they run their businesses, their lives, anything like that. Is there something that you see in them that they do differently to maybe what other people don't and that we could all learn from it that you've observed from working with these kind of people? Um, that's a great question. I, I Somebody like Tim is, I had the opportunity to work with him a little bit when I was still at HP. Um, and I was trying to get the upper management there to want to engage Tim on a more regular basis. They weren't really willing to do it at that point because Tim was really just coming out of the gate. You know, the four hour work week was out there, but it, you know, wasn't making all the noise yet that, that, you know, that it made later. Um, he was just getting on the speaking circuit. When I met him, he was speaking at South by Southwest. Um, and, it could uh, be just like a, an overall sort of feeling or, or an observation from yeah, a lot, you know, of, of a number of the influences that you, you've worked with. I think that they all have a system for doing things. Now, Tim can explain his system for doing things, but it's very particular to him. Yes, there are generalities in which you can you can extract out of that and apply for yourself. But to me, the real genesis of it is you've got to be true to yourself. You have to know what you are willing and not willing to do. One of the things I learned early in my career is what I was willing, what I was not willing to do. And it took me a while to sort of figure that out. But once I, I figured that out it made everything else a lot easier because I wasn't trying to fool myself that, you know, I'm, Oh yeah, I'll go do that. You know, you know, you, you write it down in your list and you never do it, you know, because you're inherently, it's just uncomfortable to you. Now, yes, I know that some people are going to say, well, we should do things, you know, break out of your comfort zone. Yeah, true. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But you have to be true to yourself and the way you do things. So figure out what you are willing to do, what you like to do, how you like to do it, and then build a system around that that works. Do a little trial and error, right? Um, start off with maybe following the way somebody like Tim does it. Um, but you have to have those principles and values up front or it's never going to work for you. If you're just mimicking what somebody else does, it's never going to work for you. And that's what the problem with a lot of these gurus out there that are trying to tell you like, do it this way. I've got the method. Uh, okay. You've got pieces of something uh, that I can take and I can, and I can maybe place into my own method, improve my own method. But you know, I look, I, for instance, I, I operate very organically. So I really don't like automation. I don't like a lot of those things. It's just inherently, it just smacks to me that it's not authentic or genuine. Now that's not to say I don't use some automation tools and some things that I do in my process. But for instance, in reaching out to a guy like you, Adam, after the podcast, I expect to stay in touch with you. So mm -hmm. it's not just well, yeah, that was great, Adam. Well, I'll see you in five years when I need you again or whatever. You know, it's, it's, hey, man, what's going on? If I've got another mm -hmm. guest, if I've got somebody that I think would be a great guest on your podcast, I'm going to refer them over to you. 
you know, mm. or if I've got, you know, somebody who I think would be a good sponsor, you know, Hey, I'll hit you up and let you know, you know, Hey, this company's looking to sponsor podcast. Yours might be just the thing for them. Mm. So to me, it's very organic. Um, and I think Tim operates that way to an extent too, although he is pretty systematic in how he does things. He's, mm. he's very intellectual. Um, Robert Scoble, on the other hand, Robert is somebody who just sort of follows, you know, what his interest is. So Robert now is, is big into augmented reality and virtual reality. So those, that's, his, that's his big thing. And that's what he's doing. That's what he's focusing on. So find what you're passionate about, pursue it, set up a, you know, figure out a system that works for you. You can always refine it and improve it. You know, no system or method is perfect. But, um, I, you know, I, I think that they are true to themselves. That's, it's a basic principle. And you have to figure out what that is about you. Um, if I went off and started trying to pretend I was a fashion consultant, it would fail miserably, right? It's just, I could I don't mimic. Know. I think you're, uh, you're, you're, you're sporting the same type of uh, get up to me. So I'll <laughs> right. say you're. Uh... <laughs> I dress according to comfort, you know? So yeah. it's, you know, so, so I'd be faking it. And if you're going to yeah. try to fake it, it's not going to work. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to figure out what you're passionate about. You really care about drive with that. And then, stick to your values so like i mentioned earlier like i like when bloggers will turn me down you know oh, this product isn't really right for me no the timing's not good oh right, hey cool you know somebody is, is you know they've got integrity they're not just taking it for the money you know um i would caution anybody who's who's building their own influence you know don't take things just for the money i know the money's attractive you know but really at the end of the day taking that extra few hundred dollars is that going to make or break your career probably not um, you know, but be careful about who you associate with, what kind of brands, you know, have your values, right. That are similar values, pursue that, stick to that, you know, stick to your gut instinct. Uh, most often I find my gut instinct is right. And when I go against it, I usually regret it. <laughs> yeah. So true. And yeah, because there is no one way and we're all individuals. We've all got our, uh, our own experiences that have got, up because got us up to a certain point of time. We've got, you know, the things we believe, the things we like, the things we don't like. And it's a bit naive in a way to think that we can just follow what somebody else does step by step and get the same result. It just doesn't happen. There's far too many variables that go into anything like that. And that's why I say never, never necessarily try and copy somebody's system. Follow their principles and use their system as a guiding, you know, a guiding uh, sort of map that you can adjust using those principles if you agree with them. That's why, you know, that's why I love what you do. It's based on principles. It's based on really, you know, the way human beings interact. Yes. It's not based on the latest Facebook hack. It's not based on the latest algorithm change or hack or anything like that. It's based on human psychology and relationships and it's about building relationships and actually working together and collaborating and, and, and that's not going to go away and, and yeah i think that's fantastic no it's not and remember when you're working with influencers you got it's like it's like it's like we were talking about earlier with tim and the book uh the titans book uh it's it's really about figuring out how am i going to give the influencers value in re in return for working with me and a lot of times, uh, you know, if it's if you're a big brand, well, remember, a, a big brand has a lot of clout and it's prestigious to work with a big brand. So that's why a lot of the bloggers that I was working with when I was still back in the days in HP, they were like, wow, HP, wow, you're one of the major, you know, computer companies. Yeah, of course, I want to work with you. Uh, you know, and, you know, but the Mac people zero desire right i mean the, the the apple people you know zero desire they wouldn't even look at us uh, you know for a number of reasons probably which are pretty obvious to the audience but uh you know so i wouldn't even try with those people but anybody that was more open-minded and less of a fan you know you know there's a there's a possible opening there you know mm. um and sometimes you've got to you've got to do that if you're in a if you're if you're in a crowded field you're going to have to find influencers who are open-minded enough to want to give you a shot. You know, what is it about your product or service that might be different from the competitors? You know, they might be in the camp, you know, a, a big time follower of a, a particular brand, but you know, they might be open to other opportunities. So you have to sort of suss that out on your own mm -hmm. and figure out how, you know, if that opening exists, I brought, if, I, 
I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say one of the things that sort of pops to mind as well is one of the things that you, you know a lot of people might not necessarily even think about doing is is asking. Because they might think these influencers are, are, are far too big. And I don't mean asking direct to work topic. It's more, when I say ask, I mean ask to have, you know, one of the reasons I started this podcast is because I get to have conversations. I get to add a bit of value. I get to expose other people to an audience and I'm asking them if they'd like to have a conversation. I wouldn't generally be able to have had, uh, you know, nearly an hour's conversation with, uh, you know, with someone like you, for example, if this wasn't, um, you know, th- there wasn't this platform here. And mm-hmm. that's what I found incredibly valuable. And sometimes it's just, you, you ask, you just ask, is there anything that I can help you with? I saw this. I thought it was fantastic. I'm going to share it with my network. Is there anything else that I can do to help you? Open up a dialogue and a conversation and, you know, you'll you stand out by doing that because most other people are asking them just to, oh, I've got this fantastic product. Will you, will you promote it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's just, that's just a yes or no question, right? Mm. I mean, it's either, yeah, I will. And here's how much or no, mm. I'm not interested. Boom. <laughs> or you don't even get an answer at all. Right. Which mm. is, happens a lot of times. Um, give you an example i work a lot in the b2b space these days and i started on when i when i went when i jumped ship and i went with that small consulting firm one of the first clients we landed was the hp enterprise division so they were very interested in talking about servers enterprise storage enterprise networking you know things like that cloud computing was just coming online big data was just you know a a big topic then uh so they were asking, well, how do we work with influencers to get in front of our audience? And so we can sort of snake through the, you know, the grass, so to speak, and, and outwit our competitors, right? How can we weave our way into the conversation without them you know, interfering? And in some cases, the, com- the competition, a company like Cisco, really had a lock on the whole ecosystem of influencers there. They weren't really called influencers then, but they had communities that they had set up of user communities and you could get certified and all that kind of good stuff in there and then they had a lot of fans so we really had to suss out where were the people that were blogging or doing video that were open-minded and i would do what you just suggested i would reach out to them introduce myself and say hey this is who i am and i'm working with hp and i'm just wondering is this you know they're looking to engage with people like you because you're an authority uh, and you're a very, you're an expert in what you do is, would you be interested in, in engaging with HP? And, you know, they either say, nah, I'm, I'm totally in it's, you know, in this camp. I, 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 you know, I'm not interested. Other ones would be like, yeah, I'd like to hear what you guys have to say. You know, I've been wondering where you are. How come you're not you know, reaching out? And, you know, well, now we are, you know, so it, it and then you can start the relationship. And what we would often do in those days and that particular client was to invite influencers to events. Either the event was something that we ran on site at HP and invited a select number of influencers to come, or it was an industry event and we invited them there to the industry event, which they were probably interested in going to anyway as a a practitioner and as a a user of the technology, they would wanna go anyway. We would bring them to the event you know, they'd do some activities with us, but they'd also do their own thing while they were there as well. So, and that gave us the opportunity to sit down with them, have dinner, break bread, have a glass of wine or whatever, and a cup of coffee in the morning and say, hey, what is it that makes your clock tick? What are you interested in? And I had one guy turn to me at one conference called Interop. He turns to me and he says, thank you for inviting me here. I had no idea that HP was doing all of these things, that it had all this, these products and services in this particular area. And, you know, we had a great conversation and he wanted to stay informed. And we, of course, we kept him in the program, right? Invited him to events, did things with him, you know, co-created some content. Um, and it was, a, it was a, a very fruitful relationship, but it took a while to find, find him because of the, you know, just the way that that particular niche was operating, uh, it was hard to sort of weave our way into it. But sometimes you've got to take, you've got to find influencers who are neutral about your brand and then 
turn them to positive. Now, if they're negative about your brand, you can sometimes work with them too, if they're open-minded, and you can turn them from negative to neutral. All right, now you're doing a disservice to the competitors, of course, by doing that, right? Because now they're not totally in their, you know, they're not in the camp anymore. Now they're a little bit, you know, now they're wavering. Now they're looking at multiple solutions. They're not just saying, oh, this solution over here by XYZ is so great. Now it's, oh, ABC has some things too, you know? So I'm going to start listening to what they have to say. I'm going to start writing about them as well. So you could start a, you could shift the conversation, so to speak, um, if you think in terms of relationships, long-term planning, right? An always-on program. Don't think short-term. Think longer-term. And just slowly start to bring them around. If that's, if that's, if you're facing that situation, I mean, very often it's a lot easier, you know, you, you can enter the market and you can, or the enter that particular mm. niche. And there's, there's a bit of a warning in there as well, because if you're, if you're that company, um, whether you're working with an influencer or just your clients, if you're taking other people for granted and you're not regularly, you know, showing the love, checking in, adding value, all that kind of thing, there could be a competitor or somebody else that will come in and buy them flowers, buy them a drink, you yep. know, all that sort of thing. And, and, and I guess that there is that warning and that lesson as well. You know, don't just think about this for new people. It's anyone that's already in your network that's valuable to you, including your clients, including influencers, partners, referral sources, all that kind of thing. If you're not actively engaging with those, and it does slightly go uh, beyond the remit of, of influencer marketing, but I just think that it, 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 again, because it's a principle, there's so many tangents and, and examples where it's the same process, just maybe with a slightly different um, spin on it. You've got to look after the people that actually matter to you. Otherwise, they could have their head turned. And, and, and yeah, I think that's another example of um, yeah thinking about it in a different way because it's, it's all about relationships. It's about starting conversations that build relationships that could turn into um, – you know, something whereby uh, a specific group of human beings you can either add value to, do business with, or collaborate with. And exactly. that's that's kind of how, uh, yeah, it's kind of how I see it. So um, before we let you go, because I am, I, I realize we have run over time and I want to respect your time. <laughs> no problem. Uh, we could have a wonderful conversation for another few hours, I'm sure. Why don't you tell everyone about um, sort of what you do, who you work with, and where they can find out um, more if they wish to? Yeah, I work with uh, companies that are established. So uh, whether it's a small business, medium business, even a big brand, I work with a lot of big brands, obviously. But uh, as long as the company's established, it's easier for me to help you. Um, I work a lot in the B2B space, Okay. It's more strategic. It's a little bit more difficult than the consumer space. Um, so that's why I like to concentrate there. Uh, it just sort of, I like the intellectual aspect of strategizing and helping a company do that, helping them elevate their thought leadership, you know, elevate their executives, create programs, campaigns and programs that are going to deliver some kind of ROI, okay? It could be awareness, consideration, leads, could even be sales. It just it just depends on what the goal of the of the of the program is. Uh, I work with individuals in terms of helping them craft how to become an influencer. So if they're already an influencer, maybe they need to fine tune what they're doing. Because if you're operating on multiple platforms, it can get very confusing. And what I do is I bring the point of view of a professional marketer to the equation and I can tell them here's what I look for as a professional marketer. Here's how you're getting, you're muddling your message a bit, or here's what you can do to focus and sharpen things a bit. You know, here are the platforms you should be concentrating on if you want to you know, work within these niches. Um, so I, that's what I, that's what I do for, for influencers. Um, and I do, I do help people with personal branding, things like that. Um, so, you know, if you have any questions about that, they can just reach out to me. I'm happy to help. And uh, your website is theinfluencermarketer.com? No, it's theinfluencemarketer.com. Theinfluencemarketer.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active there. Awesome, awesome. So, yeah, check. Uh, definitely, definitely go and uh, take a look at that. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of great articles as well and, and, and things that you've written about influencer marketing and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is a huge subject. And, and as anyone listening can probably tell because – 
you know, it's we're, we're still talking, and I still have a ton of questions. But um, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's getting yeah, as as I covered, it's it's getting to late in the day here, and um, yeah, the uh, the wife and the kids are going to be getting hungry. So uh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> and I'm sure yours, you've got uh, yeah things to do in your day. But I just want to say an absolute like huge huge thank you for being here, sharing so generously your uh, your 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 story, knowledge, your wisdom, your expertise. It's been it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Adam. I'd love to. Maybe we could do another another edition, another episode sometime. You know, we could. Yeah, we could, I would we could absolutely love that. Deeper. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I am absolutely all for that. So, uh, Tom, let's. Uh, yeah, let's think about that offline. And uh, yeah, okay. look, uh, yeah. Depending when you're listening, there may even be part two at some point. So, uh, Tom, thanks very much. And all the left to say, happy fishing. Thanks, Adam. Thanks so much for tuning into the show today. I know there are a lot of podcasts you could be listening to, but you've chosen this one and I'm truly grateful for that. And if you've enjoyed this week's episode, I'd love if you could just take a few quick minutes to share your thoughts and leave an honest rating review for the show over on iTunes. It's not only important for helping others discover the show, but I also read each and every submission personally and they really do mean the world to me. So thanks very much in advance and happy fishing.